Well, thanks very much for joining us for the second of the Big Kickoff uh, Cricket Podcast. After the success of the first, they've let me loose again. And I'm delighted to say I've been joined by uh, uh, a gentleman who's on our first uh, uh, Big Kickoff Cricket Podcast from the Daily Mail. It's uh, Paul Newman. Good afternoon, Paul. Afternoon, Peter. How are you? Very well, thank you. And I've also been joined by uh, another reporter from the excellent ECB Reporters Network group. Uh, this time it's John Batham. Good afternoon, John. Good afternoon, Peter and everyone. And finally, um, so that we even it up with both men and uh, women, so to speak, I'm pleased to say, I'm delighted to say, we've got Annie Shave on with us today. Uh, Annie is the editor of County Cricket Matters. So by the title, you can fully appreciate that Annie is a great servant and a great devotee and a real love is County Cricket. Before we go any further, Annie, just give us a quick brief description of what exactly County Cricket Matters is. It's, um, it's a new magazine, new publication that um, we're champion counting County Cricket. Uh, we're just giving a platform for um, new writers, old writers, established writers and players, just to talk about and, and celebrate county cricket, really, um, and, and also raise some issues that are very much in evidence at the moment. Mm, good. Well, you'll be pleased, Danny, that we will be talking a little bit of county cricket. We'll also be talking international cricket as well. Um, we're going to start the ball rolling on the international front. Uh, it goes without saying that we, we won't be able to get through 40 minutes without mentioning a certain Jimmy Anderson. Uh, and I can assure you we will be delving into Jimmy very, very shortly. Uh, but let's start off with the, the uh, Pakistan Test Series. It was a free Test Series. Um, England eventually winning by 1-0. Um, because the third Test, unfortunately, was ruined by the uh, inclement weather that we've had the last few days. I know, Paul, you've been down at the GS Bowl covering that um, third test as well. Overall for the series, England deserve winners? Yeah, I think they were, um, really, Pete. Um, they were a bit lucky to get away with that first test, weren't they? Or they owed it to that fantastic stand between Josh Butler and um, Chris Wokes. Uh, but uh, since that point, they were pretty much on top throughout, I thought. And when last we were speaking, I said I thought they would win 3-0. Well, um, they, they lost that chance with the weather really um i don't think they bowled particularly well in the first innings of the second test at pakistan but from that moment on we just had so much bad weather it was ridiculous in what's supposed to be one of the driest corners of the country you know and and sadly you know the gs bowl has waited so long to add to its um three tests it's desperate for more tests down there um and the two they had um two of the three they've had this year were, were ruined by the by the weather but i think england were, were worthy winners and certainly in what play there was in the third test we saw a quite magnificent double century from Zach Crawley in only his eighth test, which was fantastic. Uh, as, you, as you alluded to just then, we saw Jimmy Anderson's 600 test wicket, which made the whole thing worthwhile yesterday after hanging around for five hours for play yesterday. Uh, it seemed as though the play only really went on to try and get Jimmy his landmark and, and he got it. And it was, um, it was a real privilege to be there, actually, because, you know, not many people, um, as we know, were allowed to be there. So to be one of the very few was, was a privilege. Um, and yeah, no, they've had, a, they've had a pretty decent summer. They've won both Test Series against West Indies and Pakistan. We haven't learned an awful lot that we didn't already know. But what we have learned is that they've got a very special batting talent, I think, in Zach Crawley to add to the early one, earlier one they've discovered in the last year or so in Ollie Pope. Yeah, you mentioned about Zach Crawley because he, he sort of 
he was he had a couple of tests, didn't he, so to speak, and he didn't really do too well, did he? And then all of a sudden he's come back, and boy, did he come back in a vengeance, didn't he? Well, I think he was picked a little early, to be honest. I mm. think he was picked maybe a, a, a year ahead of schedule. Uh, he was only averaging 30 for Kent, I think, when he was first picked for the New Zealand tour uh, last winter. Uh, played one test there when uh, he, he did look a bit raw. But since then, he's really gone from strength to strength. He, he, he looked better every time he batted in South Africa. Uh, I was lucky enough to see him get a century in a warm-up game in Sri Lanka before we had to come home because of uh, COVID. And he looked, even though it was a club ground and you know limited opposition, he looked terrific that day. A couple of half centuries this summer was obviously left out of two games because Ben Stokes couldn't bowl, no, no fault of his own. And then was just fantastic in this in this in this last game. That was that was an incredible innings. You know, I think it's the tenth highest um, maiden century by an Englishman, wasn't it, or or, mm. or something like that? There were so many statistics flying around. It was a huge stand with Butler, <laughs> um, and, and I really think he's a he's a special talent. Um, and um, that's the the biggest plus of the summer for England, really. He was helped in that partnership. Um... Paul by Josh Butler because obviously the last time we had the podcast we were talking about Josh Butler to be fair he was under a lot of pressure wasn't he more so for his wicket keeping as opposed to his batting but at the end of the day certainly in the last two tests he seems to have improved immensely with the bat you feel well he's a, we, we, we all know he was a gifted cricketer didn't we we all know mm. what an incredible white ball player he is and England just love him and we're, we're desperate for him to prove uh, he, he really does belong at test level and he, and he went a long way towards doing that with firstly with that that match winning in his Old Trafford and, and then with this 150 and what was particularly good about it was that he, he batted in a, in a test tempo throughout Crawley was in the ascendancy and he played the supporting role um, we, we know he's a huge talent that question marks do remain really I mean he took three excellent catches uh, in, in, um, in that last test but then he then he dropped one to, to keep Anderson waiting uh, <laughs> along with others you know, to get to that 600 landmark. We, we know, I think the big test will come if, if, if fingers crossed, England go to Sri Lanka and India this winter and he's standing up and, and then that really will be the test of him. And there is still, I think, a strong case for Ben Folks to, to come in for, for those games and do what he did in Sri Lanka in 2018 when he was exceptional. And, and we've seen, you know, with the century he's just gone for Surrey that he's, a, he's an excellent batsman as well. So he's a very unlucky cricketer, Ben Folks, and he's still breathing down Joss's neck. But uh, Joss has, um, has obviously done himself a tremendous amount of good by being named the man of the series against Pakistan. Annie, I'll come on to you, uh, obviously being a Somerset lady. Um, Josh Butler in particular, do you feel now that he's really, or possibly, could nail down that number six batting spot? Yeah, I mean, I've always been a huge fan of Josh Butler, so um, I think he's, uh, he hasn't, this is quite where it's quite interesting, he hasn't hit a white ball since January, so he's obviously um, getting more used to the red ball, and maybe, perhaps, uh, not having the distraction of white ball has really helped his game, because hmm. um, his last two innings were like 75 and 152 uh, he's um he's a very very gifted player and uh without the uh addition of the white ball i think it does make a difference to him and he's also a real confidence player he really really needs to do well he's a shy guy he's a he's a slightly introverted uh, he needs that sense that he uh, he is excellent at which he is um and he feels that in white ball but he, he hasn't felt that in red ball partly from um what people have been saying about him mm. 
John, um, what did uh, overall you make of Pakistan in this series? I think I think one of the things that, that we've seen is it, is it's very difficult for a visiting team in in, in this COVID situ, situation. We we saw with the West Indies that they struggled to play three test matches back to back, particularly in terms of quick bowling. It's very difficult to to turn them round and play three tests back to back when you're confined within a within a cricket ground hotel situation um you're obviously restricted by the number of players that are in your squad um i think pakistan suffered from that a little bit as well um in the sense that beyond beyond their first 11 they didn't really have a huge number of options um and obviously their bowling was their strength really um, and so, therefore, once you once you get to the stage where you, where your quick bowlers are getting tired, um, playing three tests back to back to back was was always going to be very difficult. Um, the batting looked frail throughout. Um, I think. I mean. I mean. Obviously, Masood got a hundred in the in the in the first test match, but um, was obviously missed twice in the forties. So, so if that hadn't happened, they wouldn't have posted many in that game either. And, and obviously the effect of that as well is if, 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 you're, not, if you're not batting for long periods of time, your, your attack that, that you can't rotate is then bowling again far too quickly mm. um, and not getting a chance to kind of rest up for a full day or whatever. And I, th- I think they suffered from that in the end. Mohammad Rizwan looks a fine keeper, doesn't he? He's not a bad batsman either, having said that. Oh, he was super. Um, mm. Yeah, Rizwan gave a, a superb um, exhibition of, of, of wicket-keeping. It's, um, it's, it's great to watch a wicket-keeper standing up mm. who, because, because that, that's, when, that's when you find out whether you've got a world-class wicket-keeper, I think, when they're standing up to the stumps. And... He did, he did it superbly um, to the spinners and he was even standing up on occasions to, to a bass as well to stop, um, to stop the England players kind of advancing down the pitch and batting out of their crease. And he, he took the ball well then too. He's, yeah, he's a, he, he's, he's a talent and, he, and he, was, he was gutsy with the bat as well. Very, very um, gritty and, uh, and held it together. Uh, a couple of times as well, yeah. A, a joy to watch. I, I love watching. I love watching wicketkeeping artistry. It's it's mm. it's one of my things. And <laughs> yeah, he was a joy. He's, yeah, I think he, I 100 agree with you, John. I think he certainly got that. Um, Paul, just come back to you. As I said, he, we, we couldn't go by without mentioning a certain uh, James <laughs> Anderson or Jimmy Anderson, as the case may be. Uh, you were fortunate enough, obviously, to as you said, be there and see his. Uh, 600th wicket it took a little while but eventually you knew it was it was going to happen uh, I don't know did you see his first ever wicket back in 2003 I did Mark Van Leeuwen ah. at Lords um, <laughs> yeah, I was actually there as a spectator I, I think it was a, a pretty miserable day if I remember rightly I was in the Compton stand um, yeah. it's before I was the cricket correspondent um, of the mail so I was I was there uh, enjoying myself without having to worry about what I was going to write and um, um, he went for 17 in his first over, if I remember rightly. He'd played one-day cricket the previous winter um, 
and, uh, and obviously had a fantastic World Cup as well, made a real impact. Um, he, he went for 17. He was a bit of a tear away in those days. He had the red, the red skunk mm. haircut. Also, he was uh, pretty quick. Um, but it, it was clear he was a talent. I, you know, I, I did Nasser Hussain's column with him this morning, and, and he was obviously the first captain to give him his his cap. And, and he said that you know you'd never dream that the guy would go on to, to play 156 Test matches and take 600 wickets. I mean, it's just extraordinary, isn't it? But he did know that he was a special talent uh, even then. A very shy lad straight out of Burnley Cricket Club and Lancashire seconds, really. Um, and I've been, you yeah, know, the, the word is privilege. It really is privilege to, to, to have seen the bulk of his, his wickets, really. Um, I was certainly there when he got 500 and when he went past um, McGrath and when he went past Botham. Um, and he's just a master craftsman. He's just, you know, he's the best bowler um, England have ever had, you know. And, and um, to, to take 600 wickets as a fast bowler or, you know, seam bowler is, is just... Extraordinary. He's only got three spinners above him now. I think he'll go past Anil Kumbly, 619. Um, even if England don't play uh, much cricket this winter, uh, I think he, he'll struggle to get to Shane Warne, 708, and he'll certainly struggle to get to Murali, 800. But but it's just incredible. And, and I'm just so glad he, he got it yesterday because for three days, the <laughs> weather was hanging around. There was four drop catches in 37 balls. And, and you thought he's going to be stuck all winter on 599. And actually, the funny thing was, when everybody arrived there yesterday, England had virtually given up on there being any play yesterday. They'd sort of really? resigned themselves, I think. It was so wet after Storm Francis or whatever it's called had, had, had hit the ground um, that they'd virtually given up on it. And J Jimmy said afterwards, well, it, was not, it wouldn't have been a bad number to have been stuck on, you know, 599. <laughs> but at the same time, I think he must be mightily relieved to get it. And it's just a shame, obviously, there was, there was nobody there to, to see it because it is one of the big moments in English cricket history, I think. 100% right. Now, there was talk, I say talk, I mean, obviously, you, you know, you get rumours and silly things, really, about a couple of weeks or so ago, there was talk about Anderson could even be retiring, because obviously, he had that test, he probably did look a little bit out of sorts, it has to be said, Paul, yes, but at the end of the day, you know, a guy like that, realistically, he, I mean, I'm not saying he's going to carry on forever, obviously, nobody does, we all know that, but he's, he's surely got a couple more years or so. In him, do you feel? Well, the way he's bowling, certainly. I mean, he hasn't had the greatest of summaries. He's ended up playing five of the six tests. I think the original plan was that he was going to play four um, and that he's going to be more rotating than there actually has been in, in the end. Um, he, he just had that one indifferent game uh, and the, the rumours did fly around. It was funny, even though there was hardly anybody in the ground, most people heard these rumours and it seemed to, to start in the commentary box somehow. And you know how these things can fly around. And Jimmy certainly felt compelled to come out and say, look, I'm going nowhere. And I think that gave England a nudge to play him in the second test against Pakistan, actually, which is the one they were originally going to rest him for. Um, but they felt compelled to play him in that one and then this last one. I mean, he's, he is a master craftsman. I, I do think England do have to think about the future. They do have to remember that the last two Ashes tours, they've lost 4-0 and 5-0. And they can't go into the next one uh, with an English-type attack. Uh, you know, if they go into that one with Anderson, Broad and Wokes, I'm afraid they're probably going to lose heavily again, however good those guys are, however brilliant those guys are. And in two of those cases, you're talking about all-time greats in Anderson and Broad. So I do think that, you know, I'd like to have seen Mark Wood play more than one test this summer. Um, Joffre has been a, a, a strange one all summer. You know, his role has been confused. Um, he obviously missed one test because he broke protocols and that was unfortunate. Uh, but, you know, this, this guy is an incredible talent as we saw last year. So I'd like to see a bit more of him. Um, going forward but you know to answer your original question Jimmy has almost certainly got a couple more years left in him I think um, and he said yesterday he wants to go to the next Ashes and I'm not saying him Broad and Wokes can't play in the next Ashes I'm just saying they, all three of them shouldn't be the attack um, 
And uh, yeah, why not? You know, he'll probably be running in for England when he's 40. <laughs> you never know, do you? That's a good, good point, actually. Now, I'm going to come on to a subject that's been on a lot of people's uh, lips for a while. Uh, and I know you wrote a fascinating piece about this recently, Paul. Um, the bad side of test cricket, bad being the operative word, bad light. We've had the incidents yeah. before, haven't we? With, I mean, it got farcical at one stage, didn't it, really? Not so much the light situation, but the fact that uh, play started and then within an hour, they had to come off for lunch uh, yeah. and then go back on again. I mean, OK, uh, I'm delighted to say things are beginning to change now, aren't they, in that aspect of it? But it's taken a lot of criticism to do that, hasn't it? Absolutely. I think that second test was a tipping point, you know, that it just... It, everything seemed to conspire against the umpires, but there was a lack of urgency. There was regulations that just seemed archaic in this day and age. Um, and I think for new, you know, people, the cricket talks about wanting to attract more youngsters. They want to want to attract more more people to to watch the game. You cannot walk off for bad light when there are floodlights shining. I'm sorry, it's just such a bad look mm -hmm. um, to to people who don't understand the game and. Uh, okay, you know, unless it's absolutely dangerous, I can I take the players' point uh, that it's a dark ball and it's not easy to pick up. But I'm afraid that you're just going to have to get on with it. And unless it's properly dangerous, you, you play on. And 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 I think the message is finally getting through. Um, but we we saw we saw them come off a bad light when two spinners were bowling. You know, and that's just <laughs> extraordinary to me. And if if they're worried about the umpires being under threat because the guys hit the ball so hard these days, well, they could go out there with helmets. I'm afraid, or they could have, have one of those Bruce Oxenford blockers that, that he, he uses in one day cricket. So I just think there was, I think it's going to be something of a tipping point. Um, you know, to go off for lunch after an hour when we'd lost half the previous day as well was just crazy. So the message is getting through and it, there was, it was noticeable. There was a lot more urgency in the third test. There was just nothing the ground staff could do a lot of the time. The rain was so heavy. The drainage, they say, is very good there. It's clearly not in the quite standard of Lords, but then again, not many are, you know. So, um, but but we, we, the game's just got to be careful because... They, they, they bang on about the, the ridiculous hundred as a means to get a new audience into the game. Well, forget about all that. Just you've got a fantastic product in Test cricket, but don't ruin it with archaic regulations. Here, here. Yeah, well, I was going to say, isn't it the regulations that have hamstrung us, Peter? Because you know there, there was a time when bad light. When, 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 when we had bad light, the the, um, the umpires would say to the batsmen. You know, yeah, where, no. where are you yeah. this? Are, are you okay? Are you not okay? We're, we're now in a situation where there's a kind of mandatory light re reading taken. And once you reach that point, it doesn't matter who's bowling. doesn't matter whether somebody's bowling bibbly bobblers or, you, or you've got two spinners on. You're off. Mm. Now, that's mad. That, 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 that's insane, as Paul says, because surely the idea, if you're, try if you're trying to attract an audience, is to get as much play as you possibly can. And let's not forget as well, that, and, and this should probably be flagged up again at the end of this English summer, we've had um, this year um, one of the most outstanding exhibitions of umpiring that we've ever seen from, from Michael Goff. I mean, right. he's been absolutely brilliant yeah. this year. And, and what you're saying to an umpire of that standing is, sorry, when a light meter reaches this point, you have to walk off. Now, that's a nonsense. This, this is a guy who understands the game, uh, who knows what the game's about, will know whether conditions are dangerous or not, and yet you've, you've basically 
hamstrung him completely by saying you have to bow to the regulation. That's, that's nonsense. No, no, I quite agree with you. And I must echo your words about Michael Goff. I mean, anyone who follows me on Twitter will probably know that <laughs> I'm a big fan of his, but I have been for a while. And, and yeah, believe, you, believe you me, I think he will turn out to be not just a, the best English umpire, but a world-class umpire as well. I really do think so. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Annie, uh, your thoughts on this bad light situation? Yeah, well, I mean, Don, Don Best did say in his interview, didn't he, that it was a bit too dangerous to play. He he wouldn't have wanted to face Archer. I, I guess if the players feel like that, I, I think there is a, a, a something that we should be doing. But um, and and all this sticking to particular times for lunch and tea is all it's all very um, very outdated. But having said that, I was commentating on a day where tea was taken, uh, lunch was taken at two, and I was very hungry, I have to say, so I wasn't particularly happy about <laughs> Like it, Annie. Always thinking of your stomach. I like it. Well done. <laughs> uh, yeah. But isn't there, an, isn't there another problem here, Peter, that another thing that we talk about a lot is slow over rates and yep. the deliberate slowing down of the game if you happen to be losing. Well, if, if you're in a, situa a situation where you know that once a light meter reaches a mandatory point, you're going to walk off, you think to yourself, well, I know it's going to get dark fairly soon, so therefore I'll just bowl as few balls as possible so that, so that we don't concede too many runs or so that, so that this doesn't happen because we're going to walk off in a minute. So you're, you're basically encouraging people to... To, to play for the light. I mean, you absolutely are. Whereas, whereas if it's in the umpire's hands, they can say, "Look, I know you're slowing down the game, so you're going to be in trouble for that." And we're not, and we're not walking off unless I think it's dangerous. Then, then it becomes a completely different game. Mm. Let's quickly move on to another uh, uh, topic. Um, there is talk of the possibility of the uh, Bob Willis Trophy being regionalised. First off, I think we all agree it's been a success, hasn't it? This Bob Willis Trophy, uh, by far and away. I, I know Paul's shaking <laughs> his head, uh, nodding his head, should I say, because Essex are doing well, obviously, understandably. So, and Somerset as well, obviously, in Annie's point of view, and Middlesex aren't too far off either, John. So uh, it's getting an exciting end to this uh, wonderful tournament, True. Um, I know Tim Wigmore in the Telegraph wrote this. Uh, excellent piece about there was talk about the uh, being regionalized there's also talk of a 32 team 50 over competition as well but then that will be the some of the counties will possibly be moving to playing limited overs cricket only uh interesting debate there paul kick off with you what's your quick thoughts on that Oh, there's lots to think about there, isn't there? Um, first thing to say, yeah, I think it's been terrific this year. I think, as we said the last time uh, we spoke, Peter, uh, it was obviously this is out of necessity that they've done this this, this year. Uh, there wasn't um, time for a proper championship, and I'm glad they didn't call it a proper championship. Um, it's a one-off. It's the Bob Willis uh, Trophy, and it's been it's been absolutely terrific. And um, I am uh, I don't mind saying I'm very much hoping that the final is between Essex and Somerset at Lords on September twenty third. Again. I, I <laughs> <laughs> championship decider last year, which I I, I I also don't mind saying that I went down to that game. I was I was really chuffed to be, to go down for that. Uh, you know, spending most mm. of my time covering England, which is great, but it was lovely to do that. And I went down mm. there wanting Somerset to win, actually. And I say that as a lifelong Essex fan because I just think they're a fantastic county, mm. and, I, and and they really deserve to win the championship. But also, as the four days went on, I did find my old Essex feelings 
coming out. <laughs> I was chuffed for Cookie when he when he batted out that last day, and it was it was you know there was nothing not much more Somerset could do with with the weather as we've seen in the Test cricket. But sorry, I'm I'm going off on a tangent there. But um, there is a lot of support for conferences, isn't there? Um, yeah. Moving forward as a permanent thing, um, I'm not I'm not sure I've got a strong view one way or the other. Actually, I do. I've always liked two divisions in in many respects. Um, I take the argument that they that they now a lot of people now think the standard in Division Two has suffered because people take take coaches take short term options to try and make sure they they stay in the in Division One. They won't back a young player, for instance, or something like that. Um, but but surely you'd get the same thing if you had conferences. Would the conferences end up as three divisions, you know, and you'd have the same problem. Um, I certainly don't agree with Colin Graves. I don't agree with Colin Graves on much, actually, but I certainly don't agree with Colin Graves when he said that some of the counties should just concentrate on white ball. I think 18 counties playing first-class cricket is, is a strength of English cricket, and even though in certain parts of the country, like the East Midlands, there are a lot of counties, you know, and you think, hmm. well, if you were starting from afresh, maybe you wouldn't have 18, but now we've got 18. We've had 18 for a long time, um, and it's, uh, they're great academies for English cricket. I don't think we should go down that road necessarily. So... Uh, in a nutshell, conferences has been great. Um, I'm so pleased it's worked this year. I hope we have good weather for the rest of it and we have a great final at Lords. As for the future, open mind, to be honest. John, what's your thoughts on that? Well, I think, <clears throat> I think the first thing to say about the Bob Willis Trophy is one of the things that's made it exciting is that you only get the two highest point scorers going through to the final at Lords. Mm. Whatever whatever conference they come from, the two highest point scorers will go through to to Lords, and and that basically means that you have to try and play play to win all the time, um, and therefore you, you you have to have you have to have attacking cricket, and and we've seen quite a lot of that. Um, we've seen quite a lot of counties um, blooding youngsters through the tournament as well, which which has been good, certainly. Certainly, down at Middlesex, they've had um, they've had the young left arm spinner. They've had Tillan Waller Loita, um, and Martin Anderson's been promoted into the top six and is is a fine young all rounder. Um, Blake Cullen made a debut um, in the last game as well. The under nineteen seamer did did really well with bat and ball. Um, it's interesting because Jason Gillespie was actually saying to, to the press on the, on the first night there that um, last season they brought in a they brought in a short term loanee um, at Sussex who who was a much more experienced uh, player and he said in hindsight he actually regretted that decision because he feels that quite often sides in Division Two take the short term view of we must get promoted we must get into Division One and therefore you don't develop some of the talent that you've got because you, because you take the short-term option. And he said, given that choice again, he probably wouldn't do the same thing. So, um, you know, I think, yeah, I think it's been good to see some, some young cricketers um, given their head. Um, I think going forward, yeah, I'm, 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 I'm a big fan of 18 counties um, playing Red Bull cricket. Um, whatever form that takes i think i think the other problem is if you if you have a regionalized three groups of six all the time it means you know middlesex will, will never play lancashire or they'll never play yorkshire or they'll never play somerset and and it, it might get a little bit sort of over familiar and samey so if they were if they were going to have three groups of six um covid permitting they might want to look at 
mixing that up a bit. And Annie, just quickly your thoughts on it. I've got so many, I, uh, but I'll try and <laughs> I'll, I'll try and be brief. One of the real joys of the Bob Willis Trophy has also been the live streams. I think they've been fantastic. Yeah. I know there's yeah. been lots Definitely. and lots and lots of different um, things, members only and stuff like that. But but I know Somerset has been brilliant. I've watched every bit I can and, and I think they're wonderful and we've had such massive viewing which shows how important county cricket is. Yeah. Um, yeah. The other thing, uh, it's been really great to see the, the young lads come through like the Tom Lamanby at, at, at Somerset but also to see the old stalwarts, to see Stevens getting loads of records, to be offered another contract um i've i've loved watching that um so yeah the bubble trophy thank god like i think george debell called it a lifeboat and and that's exactly i i agree with him that's exactly what it should be seen as it's it's wonderful in this um covid time to have something like this but i would hate to see regional competitions personally i want to go to every county i possibly can um and and the conditions are different at lots of different counties they'll miss all of that i think it's vital to keep keep it in and the two divisions i think we need it we need the progression uh, um we we need that competition to keep them wanting to go up and down well not down yeah. obviously <laughs> i'm with that right thanks very much for that annie now we've got a few minutes left um we're going to quickly move on. Paul did touch on the gentleman concerned about uh, Colin Graves, the outgoing chairman of the ECB. Paul, I'll start with you quickly, first of all. Has he really done a lot for English cricket? Uh, no. Um, <laughs> uh, no, um, I'm not a fan. I don't think he's been a very distinguished uh, reign, as it were. Um, I think he's, he's, he's putting his foot in it a lot of times, you know, particularly with his use of the word mediocre. To say that blast was mediocre was so insulting and you know touch of the gerald ratners about your own product isn't it and you know the, the blast is an excellent uh, product for want of a better word and could be even stronger with the, anything anything like the investment that's been put into the hundred uh, i'm not a fan of the hundred at all i think it's a disaster um, um and you know braves also use that mediocre word to describe the west indies and gave them every motivation to to beat england in 2015. um but it's not so much what he says i, I just think what the ECB have done under him has been, been disappointing. I can't think of a single triumph, really. I know England won the World Cup and the Women's World Cup under, under while well, he was chairman, but how much of that did he have to do with that? Um, and, and also, I just look at the, the amount of money. I know we're in the, uh, you know, an enormous crisis, um, but this was the sort of crisis that the ECB had these reserves for. Going back to uh, Giles mm -hmm. Clark and David Colley, you know, they've got their, their enemies that, that you know, a lot of people criticise Giles Clark. But the ECB at that time had around 70 or 80 million pounds of reserves for what they called a rainy day. Well, it doesn't get more, much more rainy than this, but those <laughs> reserves are right down. And they're right down because so much money has been spent on the 100. It was called off this year, so we don't know how it would have gone. But so much money has been spent on it. I don't think they can afford to let it fail, really. But I just think it's such a waste of money and it epitomises Colin Graves' reign, I'm afraid. Annie, quickly on uh, Mr Graves. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. Um, I'm not a fan either. Not at yeah, all. Careful, um, Annie. Careful. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no. Um, what he's done, is, it, it's been a very di diversive um, reign as such. Uh, what, we, what we found is that the counties are at loggerheads with each other now. Um, nobody really agrees with anyone. We've got an ECB committee now that 
uh, he changed that our business people, not uh, a lot of them aren't cricketers, and he's very proud of that. And I, I kind of see that it needs business heads in there, but it needs a lot more um, cricket knowledge, cricket know-how. Um, and I don't understand the, the thinking behind that. And I certainly don't understand the 100. Um, uh, what did George DeBell call it? A turd in the middle of the room that he's left. <laughs> Wonderful. John, you've got a couple of minutes about Mr Graves. Well, I have to be very careful here, don't I? Yes. Network hat on. Um, it's. I think. I think it's very difficult. You. You know, cricket. Cricket needs to broadcast <laughs> itself to a wider audience. It does. Um, whether the hundred is a solution to that is a matter of opinion. Um, I think I think the traditionalists like myself always find it difficult to take new formats on board. I think I think even when T20 came in, there were a lot of traditionalists that said, "This isn't cricket. I don't like it. It's just whack it as far as you can, uh, and all that kind of thing." So but that wasn't the same. That was not no, the same. no, but no, but people people need time to 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 adjust to a new. Mm -hmm to a new invention anyway um however if if you're going to if if you're going to sell cricket to a new audience don't try don't chuck your history down the toilet that, that, that that's the first thing you've got to say um and also if if you want if you want more kids playing cricket you have to get more cricket in state schools that's that's what you have to do you have to get it so that it's not it's not perceived as a sport of the elite that it's perceived as a sport that that any kid can play, um, and you and you have to make it accessible in that way. I, for, for me, that's the way of going down the new audience route. I mean, when I was a school kid, I loved cricket. I loved cricket at county level. I loved cricket at international level. I watched it whenever I could. Um, I don't think it's a particularly hard sell if you can get kids playing it um, in state school. Mm. Right, John, thank you very much on that note. Unfortunately, we're going to have to end, but uh, Paul, many thanks for your time as always. Absolute pleasure. John, likewise as well. Annie, thank you as well for your wonderful insight about the wonderful game of cricket. Um, <laughs> we will be having another big cricket, uh, big kickoff uh, cricket podcast, should I say, as always. They're going to be happening every two weeks. We're going to have different people on as well, which is fantastic. John, Paul, Annie, thanks once again for your time. Um, you. We'll speak again very soon, no doubt.